Nell wished she had a trouser suit like Crabby, with a big fold-back collar and two rows of buttons. In her school bag was a copy of Honey magazine with all the autumn clothes in it. She bought it after school on Wednesday, the day it came out, but had saved it for reading on the train. There weren't many people waiting on the platform, fewer than usual for the five ten. Some of the trains had corridors, but the five ten from Penzance often didn't. It just had separate compartments with a door at each side of the carriage, so once you were in, you were in. Nell knew better than to get into a compartment where she'd be on her own, so she usually tried to pick out someone on the platform who'd be safe to travel with. Some other girls, if possible, or failing that, any woman would do really. That's what her mother advised her. But the only other people waiting today were a man with an umbrella, who would probably go first class, and a couple of boys from the high school. A lot of Nell's friends would have got in with the boys. They didn't look exactly dangerous, but Nell didn't want anyone thinking she was boy mad, least of all the boys themselves. It was always better to play hard to get. Rita and Julie told her. When the train drew in, a student in a green duffel coat got out and held the door for Nell, his long hair blowing across his face. She checked quickly inside. There was a dumpy middle-aged woman in the corner opposite who seemed to be asleep, and that was good because Nell didn't want to get drawn into aimless chat. She shut the door, put her bags on the seat, and pulled the window up a bit. The man in the duffel coat had pushed it right down, so it must have been freezing with all that cold air rushing through. She arranged her bags on the seat beside her, and got out her magazine. The autumn fashion colours were amazing. Twiggy was wearing a dress in rich chocolate corduroy with mustard tights and a rust-coloured blouse from Bieber in some shiny material that draped into big gathered sleeves. Over the page was the perfect trouser suit, deep burnt orange with a blue pinstripe. The jacket was long, military length, said the description, and had a lovely curved shape, fitted close around the ribs, then flared out to the hem. The trousers were flared too, and the model wore high-heeled boots under them. Jean Muir trouser suit, fourteen pounds fifty. Nell could not afford more than twelve pounds, even if she saved up most of her dress allowance for the term. Perhaps when she went to university in a few years' time, she'd be able to buy a trouser suit from her student grant and throw away her old school Mac, which was smelling horribly of dry cleaning fluid. She kept turning pages, then stopped to read an article about Lynn Redgrave. It said that Lynn had always been the ugly duckling in her glamorous family because she was plump and self-conscious, while her sister Vanessa was being called the most beautiful actress in England. But now everybody was raving about Lynn in Georgie Girl and saying that she could be the most talented of all the Redgraves. Nell lost interest in the article. She hadn't seen Georgie Girl, and besides, her eyes were stinging, maybe from too much reading. Her gaze slid across to the window. The dark was closing in outside, and the lights in the carriage were reflecting on the glass, so she had to put her face right up to it to see. The bushes were black shadows along the railway line, with an eerie glow around them, because the sky was still letting through shafts of light that showed the high points of the moors further away.
If this was Dartmoor, they must already have passed Ivy Bridge, but the train wouldn't stop till Torquay. The glass was cold against Nell's forehead, and the rattling of the train made her teeth vibrate. She drew back and saw the compartment reflected, with the hills and the trees rushing through it like ghosts. The woman in the opposite corner was still asleep. What if she missed her station? Nell began to wonder if she should ask her where she wanted to get off, but she didn't like to disturb her. Anyway, she was enjoying the time to herself, and the woman looked like the chatty type. Perhaps it would be best to wait till they were near Torquay, then tap her on the arm, just in case. Nell wouldn't like an old lady to miss her station and have to go all the way back from Exeter in the dark. She stared at the reflected image of the hunched figure, with its head slumped into its chest. How could you let yourself go like that? Why did women just give up when they were about thirty-five and start wearing those boxy sheepskin coats and thick woolen skirts right down to their knees? The train went over some points and jolted from side to side, so Nell's magazine nearly slipped from under her hand. She caught it as it was about to fall, and that was when she noticed something running along the floor of the carriage. At first, she thought it was a trickle of water, but it was thick and dark. And then another street to cross after it, and another, and another. Nell lifted her feet off the floor in a sudden reflex, as she recognised that the liquid was dark red and spreading everywhere. Although she hardly realised it. She was already screaming as she looked at the woman opposite, and saw the bib of red stuff soaking into the sheepskin collar, gathering in the woolen lap, and seeping steadily through onto the floor. Nell threw down the window and screamed for help out into the night, fighting for breath against the great thumping beats of her own heart. It was a full two minutes before it occurred to her to pull the emergency cord. London, August 1971. One. London was awash with pale sunlight, and Joni Mitchell was singing "Chelsea Morning" in Nell's head as she watched a real Chelsea morning through the cab window. After she'd sat through what amounted to three continuous nights on the plane, relieved only by short episodes of shallow sleep, she felt as if she were dreaming and wide awake at the same time. Here she was, back in England. Ten weeks of living in Adelaide. Even in what were the winter months over there, had accustomed her to a light that was fiercer, thrown from the brilliant blue disk of an unbroken sky. It was hard to believe that the same sun shone here. This was an altogether different light, reflected from stone walls, broken into mottled patterns by the leaves of the trees, gleaming across the bare back of a passing cyclist. It was Friday morning, and Nell's watch said eight thirty. So in Adelaide, it would be dinner time on Friday evening, and Mum would be frying the chops. Mum didn't like her going back on her own, not after what had happened, but everyone agreed she had to take up the university place she'd been offered, and her parents couldn't move from Adelaide because Dad was the head of the new training program there. She'd be all right anyway, she told them. So now she was going to have to prove it. She leant forward in her seat, relishing the space around her. Watching the people walk at different paces along the embankment, or leant over to stare at the river, a hippie sat on the wall and strummed a guitar. They passed a pub that seemed to explode with flowers from hanging baskets and window boxes.
Some of the houses had window boxes too, filled with pink and red geraniums. Living in London was going to be fantastic. Pretty, isn't it? said the driver. That's the Draper's Arms. Gets fancier every year. Bit of a competition now, see, to be the fanciest pub in Chelsea, trying to be part of the flower show. I've heard Adelaide's the Garden City. Is that right? Yes. There's parks all around it, in a ring. That's nice then. It's going to be a scorcher today, they reckon. Eighties the forecast, but I expect that's nothing to you. Well, it's winter in Australia now, so it can get quite cold. So I've heard. I've got an uncle over in Australia. He lives in Perth. Loves it out there, apparently. But I love London. Lived here all my life. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. You know that silly old song, Collingham Gardens is nice. You'll like it there. Lovely old houses. Got a flat, have you? Yes. Well, my cousins have. I'm moving in with them. That's nice then. I hope they take care of you. Little Australian girl like you could get swallowed up in London. Nell saw in the driving mirror his eyes, raised to see her reflection. A warning signal flickered somewhere on the edge of her consciousness. I'm not really Australian. Just my parents moved there a few years ago, so I went out there to stay with them after I finished my A levels. Ah,、oh, that explains it. I didn't think you sounded much like one of them. They're all supposed to live in Hell's Court, you know, Kangaroo Valley, they call it. <laughs> But anyway, you want to take care in swinging London. Few sharpers about, if you know what I mean. They older than you, these cousins. The warning light was on now. Yes, they're judo champions, as a matter of fact. That right? The cab drew up at a junction.